Podcast. This is series number four, episode number one. And uh, what better way to kick off Pride Month or June the 1st of 2023 than with an extra special guest, along with me, J.J. Sefton, and my co-blogger, CBD. Colonel Kurt Schlichter is a highly successful trial attorney, as well as a combat veteran of the U.S. Army, served as a platoon leader during Desert Storm, as well as in Kosovo and here in the States during the L.A. riots, the Northridge quake, and the 2007 wildfires. He is a an extraordinary writer, commentator, published in many of the nation's leading papers. He's also written for Breitbart.com's Big Hollywood, Big Government, Big Journalism, and Big Peace, as well as a weekly columnist for Town Hall, author of four number one selling Amazon political humor ebooks. And um, he's a regular commentator across the nation on many, many shows. And we are honored to have him here with us on uh, CJN Speaks. Welcome, Colonel Schlichter. Well, I got to correct you. You know, combat veterans, inaccurate. I was so far in the rear, they have to FedEx bullets to hit me. <laughs> okay. The only action I saw is when I walked in on a couple of troops screwing. <laughs> okay. I'm no Pete Buttigieg, guys. <laughs> well, I'm, not Bloom, I'm not Dick Blumenthal. I didn't win uh, K-Son all by myself. <laughs> as a as a bit of an aside, I, th- I find that actually rather refreshing. I'm I'm so sick and tired of the, uh, um, you know, the, we've had millions and millions of men in combat, but we've had many many more of them who who did the equally honorable thing of supporting, of just showing up, of just showing up. Yeah, I have, I have all I have this massive number of awards. There's like a medal up there, <laughs> Legion of Merit. Got a couple of those. All perfect attendance. <laughs> I so, showed up. Kurt, I'll give you a little story. My father had orders for Korea as a private. The war ended, so they sent him to Germany and then Paris instead. And he mustered out after two years. And um, he said that his greatest skill was learning how to salute rather crisply. Uh, and I said, well, Dad, you know, what else did you learn? And he said, absolutely nothing. That's why I left as a private. So. Well, I kept showing up and eventually I guess everybody else fell out. <laughs> anyway, so one of the reasons why I'm very pleased that we have Mr. Schlichter on is that he is one of the few uh, conservative commentators who is willing not to be nice. He doesn't play nice with the left. He says what he thinks. He is very, very good at insulting them and denigrating them and minimizing their rather weak intellectual accomplishments. And that pleases me greatly because that's one of the things that I've tried to do in my own writing. And I know that, uh, you know, several other people on Ace of Spades, including Ace himself, oh, feel God, the same Ace. way. You know what? I got to give Ace is a friend of mine, been friends for years. We actually met at Breitbart's funeral where I gave him a ride from the cemetery to the reception. And um, Ace pisses me off because I think he's the only guy who's funnier than me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, he, he when he gets going, he is funnier than I am, and it drives me crazy. Love the guy, but man, how, how dare you? I'm pretty damn funny. You uh, are indeed, and although and I'm I do uh, also, as you can see. Yeah, we, we but, can't compete with Ace's vitriol uh, when it comes shit, to Holy shit, that guy, when he gets going. Yeah, it's a delight. Kurt's yeah, new go essay, go he talks about rejecting the race hustlers which I think is a wonderful, wonderful thing. The left uses race, obviously. You know, all of our readers and, and listeners know this. They use race as a tool. They don't give a rat's ass about Black America, Hispanic America, or green, blue, orange, gold, whoever knows America. But they use it as a tool to separate us from the rest of the country. And they use it as a bat with which to beat us. And Kurt says, we need to stop that. We need to confront them at every turn and call them out on it when they talk about structural racism. What what should we say? Well, look, I, it's a multi-pronged weapon. The, the use of uh, you're a bad person as a multi-pronged weapon system. First of all, it shifts the uh, uh, it shifts the argument to unstable territory. It puts you on the defensive. It, it makes some dumb people think worse of you. And up until it became clear that any kind of attack about your racism, sexism, transphobia, phobia, phobia, whatever the hell it is, uh, was a bad faith move, it would make people stop and go, huh, 
Because, you know, in an ideal world where people are good faith and not lying sacks of shit, if somebody said, you're being racist, you would go, oh, wait, let me take a personal inventory because I don't want to be racist. That's a bad thing. But it's, you know, presumptively a lie now. Everything they say is presumptively a lie. If they actually say something that's true, it's kind of an accident. Um, and the, the, the way to go is to stop caring entirely. You're racist. I don't care what you think. And I've, been, I've been taken to Twitter with that lately. So they go, you're just typical. You just you just want to kill children by, by allowing people to have guns. I don't care what you think. Okay. You, that's, what you, that, that's what you allegedly think. I really don't think you think. Period. Much less that. But even if you do, and? See, that, that's an important point, that and. The left uses the conservative world's uh, default of civility as a weapon against us. They, well, I, I think as, it's less, as you pointed out. I think it's less civility than now than kind of being a sissy and avoiding conflict. I think it used to be civility. But I think now a lot of people are just trying to avoid conflict. And, uh, you know, if you avoid conflict, guess who's got the power? Exactly. You know, the, the thing is, that we, and here's the thing, if you if the initial reflex is to is to say when they can when they you know, slime you as being a racist is, is to deny it and, and try to defend yourself. Yeah. You've already lost the argument right there, I think. Yeah, well, you're now in a different. First of all, you're not. There's no such thing as arguments. You've got to understand. That. I'm a lawyer. May seem strange. I guess if I put together facts and evidence in a non-political case, I kind of do something that's like making an argument. There's no argument in American politics. There is no set of facts, evidence of, you know, or, or connections between them that you can present to a leftist that have, have the leftist say, oh, yes, you are correct and I will adopt your view. It, 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 and if, if you don't have an outcome at the end when somebody can change their view, uh, it's not an argument, it's masturbation. And um, I'm not interested in making arguments. I'm interested in destroying my enemies and all killing all their dreams. I don't want to convince anybody of anything. Well, that, that's that's technically not true. I don't want to convince my opponents of anything. Normal people, arguments appeal to them, including the hypocrisy argument. You're like, oh, well, my gosh, imagine if Trump did that, you know, when the Biden crime family gets away with something. There is nothing less based, nothing that demonstrates more if you don't know what time it is. When you actually are shocked by the hypocrisy of the left, okay. So I, 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 now you can do it for normal people, people who are not involved. But if you, we do it among ourselves, that is the opposite of based, because that has to just be a, a continuing assumption. We just have to accept it as a ongoing fact. The regime media will lie, leftists will lie, everything is a lie and a scam. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is gaining enough power to force our view down their throats and to destroy everything they've built. I don't want to win the argument. I want to win the war. Which, you know, when that brings us to the to the subject of, well, first identifying what the war is, you know, at, at this point, it's people will argue, well, it's a cold civil war. And I don't think it's a cold civil war at all. I think we're involved in a pogrom where they're beating the crap out of us. And, uh, you know, we're sort of sitting there and taking it because if we do fight back, then we get arrested, as in New York, as in Dan the Marine Daniel Penny, when he tried to subdue a, a psychopath. And well, now he's that, that, that's racist. true. We we don't have the benefit of the protection of laws in blue states. And that's one of the uh, the institutional orientation of uh, uh, conservatives, which is we have to rely on the institutions. We have to rely on law and order. Again, shows you don't know what time it is. I, I, I remember when, uh, you know, Trump gets charged with this stupid thing in New York City. And look, it's it's a legal joke. I mean, you know, but people get me on, Kurt, you're a lawyer. Explain the legal. It's not a legal thing. There's no legal issue for me to explain. It's not a legal issue. It's ridiculously. It's power issue. And if you don't understand that, you've already, you're already behind the power curve. And then you have these freaking conservatives whose default is also always to be a sissy saying things, well, we have to, you know, we have to see what the evidence is and trust the process. No, the process is corrupt from beginning to end. The institutions have been co-opted. They are a virus that is infests a cell and the cell stops doing what the cell is supposed to do and starts making more virus. That's how it works. There's no process to trust. 
Look at the J6 defendants. I mean, that's a, it, it, it's a joke if you talk about it in a legal sense. It's simply they have the power to crush these people to try and shut us up and uh, make us submit and punish us for defying them. It has nothing to do with anything else. There's no process to trust, which is why I thought it was so based when DeSantis was like, well, I'm going to look at pardoning a bunch of them because you can't have two systems. You can't have one system for them and one for us. Yeah, that's the answer. We have to use our raw power. And I think there would be nothing better than the next president coming in saying, I'm pardoning every J6 defendant, including ones who took hammers and beat cops on the head. And let me tell you why. Because there were leftists who took hammers and beat cops on the head, and they didn't get prosecuted. And the left had power then, so the left could decide. We're either prosecuting, normally under the, under the law, or we're not. Well, they chose not. So that's the rule, and that's what you're going to get. And I'm pardoning every single one of them without apology, but with that explanation. So you understand, you normal people understand, you cannot have a system where the left gets to do what it wants and the right doesn't. You got one system, left got to choose. They said, whatever you want, fine. That's what it is, and that's what you're going to get. Well, you wanted to fund the police. I thought you conservative supported the police. I thought... I don't care what you think. I'm going to use my power to stop you. That's one thing I, I find very hard to forgive Trump about, which is he, he leaves office, he pardons a bunch of his celebrity pals, but he doesn't pardon the people, uh, many of whom were nitwits, uh, who did dumb things. But they were his supporters, and he left them high and dry. If I was Trump, I would pardon every single one of them, blanket pardon, just like Jimmy Carter did. Oh, and I, I love the Twitter. I, you can't pardon someone unless they've had a formal charge lodged against you. Shut up, you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I would pardon all of them. I would pardon everyone in his, in, uh, his uh, administration, and I would pardon himself. I would have pardoned myself if I was Trump. And I would say, here's why I'm doing it, because they are abusing what should be a system that works fairly. So this, these pardons are simply a recognition that the left is not using the system fairly, and we're not going to play. We're going to use our power to stop them from abusing theirs. And if you don't like it, don't like me next time, which, of course— they get that wish. We'll see. But look, he, he, I, that's why I like DeSantis. He doesn't apologize for using power. You got a Soros prosecutor. Well, I got the power to throw him out. You can't throw him out. He was elected by the people. Shut up. I have the power to stop you, so I'm going to use it. You know? Well, you just shut down our uh, Soros. Yeah, we were going to ambush you with that question. Who do you prefer? But you've already said uh, DeSantis. Okay. okay. Uh, I will vote for Trump uh, if he loses, if he win, uh, wins the primary. But no, I, I, I think DeSantis uh, has demonstrated he's more serious about the use of power. I mean, just today, there's a stupid press release about DeSantis's name. And I got to tell you, what was kind of cute in 2016 is just stupid now. OK, when you have guys rotting in prison who were your followers, who you could have saved, and you're, you know, milquetoast Kaylee McEnany, I don't want to hear it. It's stupid. It's stupid and it's weak. And I don't like it. DeSantis puts fear in their hearts. That's why that's why the regime media wants Trump so bad, because they think they can beat Trump and they probably can't. I mean, to say that Trump can't possibly win, he'll lose for sure. Well, he'll probably lose. Not for sure, but he'll, he'll probably lose. I mean, when you have a 47 percent ceiling, you know, I think you know, we're. And I, you know, Kurt, you and I, I think, and I think to an extent, CBD, I think we're preaching from the same handle in that for the last, it's, I just come to this, to this horrible realization that, you know, because you talk about our side plays by the rules when the other side is not even, they're not even playing the same game, let alone in the same well, stadium as we are. You know, when you say play by the rules, you know, it's not that they're goody goodies necessarily. Who are 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 are? are I, I think of it. They they hide behind the rules because it's easier and they're weak. You know, they can always say, "Well, I can't do anything." There are rules. No, you know what the you know what a rule is? A rule is a bayonet. At the end of the day, a rule is a man with a gun. That's a rule. Chairman Mao understood it. Now we can all agree that we're going to put a bunch of uh, uh, norms and. Uh, regulations and such, some written, some informal, in effect, and we'll honor those. But at the end of the day, a rule, the rule is the guy with more guns. That's what the rule is. And the left gets that. And I'll tell you, if the left had more guns, which is why they've got such a hard-on to disarm us, if the left had more guns, we'd be on freaking cattle cars, you know? I, I totally, I absolutely agree with that. And it's, I mean, we're sort of treading on dangerous ground here, but I think we've, 
at the risk of, of saying things that uh, that I really well not that I don't want to say them, but I don't want to necessarily quote unquote get in trouble from the powers that be. I was I was going to make the point that we're at a point where this country, as it was or as we thought it was, really just no longer exists. Oh, that's Whatever the reasons are that that our quote unquote side doesn't want to fight fear or playing by the rules or this or just being you know just under the delusion that we're still under regular order, we yeah. can't do this anymore. And the problem is. You know, it's it's, it's going to take a while for people to get through their heads that there's a different set of rules and effects. Look, you know, the rule of power is the normal state of human beings. <laughs> what we had, you know, for a long time, and we could have again, uh, what we had for a long time was not normal. Okay, the United States is an exception. That's American exceptionalism. Bingo. You know, where life isn't nasty, brutish, and short. Uh, so. You know, the idea that some sort of alien territory, well, this is normal territory for 99.99% of human beings through human history, okay? The tougher guy rules. Now, I always say there's three ways things can go. We can have a civil society where we respect individual rights and liberties and, uh, uh, you know, have order and prosperity. That's option one. Option two, my guys are in charge and we do what they say. Option three, their guys are in charge. We do what they say. I want option one. I can live with option two if I have to. I'm not living under option three. So how do we how do we approach the next couple of years where uh, we have some cultural boycotts going on right now, Bud Light and Target, which is, uh, you know, it, it's a good thing. We're, we're damaging woke corporations. Yes. Um, but the step from there to to aggressively pushing back against the left and saying that, okay, we'll play by your rules now, which means no rules, which means that we're going to be fighting in the streets. No, uh, no, no, no. Look, this doesn't have to involve violence. This has to involve power, the use of the power that exists. And, and we're, you know, I write books where uh, the country is torn apart by civil war, right? We're so far from any uh, practical or moral justification for uh, any kind of civil violence that it's almost not worth talking about. Yes, I believe everybody should keep and bear arms in case there is a tyranny. And when I say a tyranny, a, a system where you have zero ability to influence events, where there is unbridled oppression, where you have no relief. Well, right now things are imperfect, right? We have an imperfect culture that uh, uh, hassles us. We have an imperfect judicial system. But we are nowhere near, it's almost not worth talking about actual violence uh, in any systematic way. The left will use violence. I'm talking about uh, uh, the right using violence. It, it, it's just, it's not justified. We have other ways. We can win. We can win using economic power, political power, cultural power, and that's what we should do. And we should we should fight in that vein. I think the only reason that there's no violence from, no, no there is violence from the left. There's no significant violence. You know, we had a low, we had a low-grade leftist insurgency for the late '60s, early '70s in the United States. Nobody talks about it. We had hundreds of people killed, bombings, shootings. You know, the weather underground, all these, uh, you know, Black Panthers, all these guys, SLA, and it was suppressed through law enforcement. So the the idea when people start going, well, you know, we're on the verge of civil war. We're not on the verge of civil. War. I've been where there's civil wars. Okay, we're not there yet. Thank God. And we, we shouldn't go to, we shouldn't even, I, I think it's counterproductive to talk about it, not just because the leftists get mad, but because it gets on, because that's, there's always somebody wants to avoid the hard work. And we have a hard work of political organization, cultural organization, social organization. There's no, let's get a bunch of pitchforks and torches together and we'll solve the problem. And 48 hours later, we can go back and watch football and eating bratwurst, okay? They, they, they march through the institutions over decades. We've got to march back. And when you look at things like Bud Light or you look at things like uh, Kohl's or Target, right? This stuff happened because there was never any pushback. It also happened, I mean, obviously it... it, it, it when I say no pushback, there was no pushback that got inside the leftist bubble of people who go, well, here's somebody who uh, has a marketing degree from Wellesley. Let's hire her to uh, uh, you know, market Bud Light. Why? She went to Wellesley. How could that be bad? 
and they have absolutely no understanding of, of actual normal people. They're just within that bubble. Now they're getting an understanding and uh, it's going to hurt, but it's going to take time. We have to make sure that we, a lot of this is about breaching the blue bubble. A lot of this is about allowing forbidden ideas to come to the fore, which and you got to give credit to Trump. Trump didn't succeed because he was a TV guy. All right. It wasn't because he was on The Apprentice. It was because he talked about things. He was a, he was a class trader who talked about things that we were informed we were not to talk about. Illegal aliens, tariffs, ending wars. We were told those things are off the table. And he said, no, I, I'm going to talk about it. And that's how he distinguished himself from 16 other guys running in 2016, because he talked about things that normal people cared about, but that the big bubble just refused to acknowledge even existed. And, and, and they were stunned. How, what, how, how can you call somebody an illegal alien? No human's illegal. Didn't you see a sign in the front yard of my McMansion? We also believe in science. You know, and of course, it's all a lie and a scam, but they never realized that there were people out there who disagreed with them. And they told themselves, well, to the extent that people disagree, they're either stupid or bad. And they never had to grapple with the ideas. But normal people have to grapple with the idea. It's a normal guy who gets rear-ended by an illegal alien with no insurance. Okay, now you got to pay your $1,000 deductible. And that might not be that big a problem for a lawyer who has a, who's driving a Volvo. But if you're a, uh, you know, a factory guy who's driving a Toyota Tercel, that $1,000 deductible hurts. And suddenly it's not about all, no human is illegal. It's about, great, that thousand bucks means I don't get to buy kids, uh, you know, shoes for my kids this month. You know, on a, on, on a positive note, there was, a, it, it's a bit of a good news, bad news thing. On a positive note, there was this reaction from the inner city of Chicago where people were doing an absolute freak out on the, uh, whether it's Lightfoot or Brandon Johnson clown, or I think is the, now officially the mayor about bringing in the illegal aliens. But the, um, the downside of it is that the illegal aliens are taking away all their reparations money. So I, yes, mean, I, I, I saw that. I, it's sort of half good and half bad. You know, look, the blue cities and all the cities are blue. And um, I think you got Hans Soros, he's smart. He figured out the leverage. You have these uh, DA races where, you know, a Republican or you know, sort of Republican, sort of liberal DA it's essentially the same. They're going to prosecute criminals, right? They have a huge amount of discretion because no one thinks they're going to be politicized. He sees, I can spend a little money, hit those races, and then use their discretion to essentially repeal crim the criminal code. There's a great leverage, uh, really political arbitrage for a little money. He had a huge effect in these areas. And, um, you know, the inner city people, you know, the urban people, they just... They always elect the liberals, uh, Giuliani being the exception. Finally, they got sick of it, put Giuliani in. He made New York essentially a paradise. I loved going to New York in the Giuliani years because it's great. Now it's a hellhole. But uh, I got to tell you, I don't understand why I'm obligated to care more about what happens in blue cities than people who vote in blue cities. So if you tell me, look at, look at these, these people are suffering. All right. Yeah, they sure are. Again, I've got I've got this list of things, this long list of things I'm to care about. Why is that? Why should that be at the top when it's clearly not at the top of the people who do the voting there? It exposes the hypocrisy of the left in in a way that nothing else does. You look at these knuckleheads in Chicago talking about uh, institutional racism and systemic racism and blah 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 blah. And the, and the reality, of course, is that if you don't arrest and prosecute and imprison bad guys, they will. Still be out well, on the street. Look, I mean, we're, simple we're five, as that. But we're five steps from there. We all know that. Yeah. Now it's about power. How? What, what efforts and uh, you know uh, what emotional labor am I going to do on behalf of the blue cities that put themselves in that hole? Well, here's my offer: nothing, and you come up with the money for the gaming license. <laughs> I, 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 you know, and I think that ought to be the Republican view. You guys turn your city into a shit. Uh, a reeking cesspit of uh, you know pot smoke and social pathologies, and it's now your problem. Don't expect us to bail you out because we're not going to. Now you start doing things right, you start getting the thing. Maybe we'll lend a helping hand down the road, maybe. But this is your problem, and I don't think Republicans are very good at doing that because oh, I don't want to say defund the police or you know people are suffering. Yeah, people are suffering, and you have a choice of who to help. 
the people who are suffering who voted for you or the people who are suffering who didn't vote for you. I vote the people who didn't vote for me through the suffering. What is your vote? You wrote about this a few weeks ago, but essentially giving up on the on the inner cities. And it was a re- well-reasoned argument. My only issue is, are they going to overwhelm the votes in the rest of the states? Well, and in some cases, it, they will. Um, that, that Another of my problems is red state governors. They all have these blue tumors, right? But they have they, they own the state, like Greg Abbott. He's actually doing some good things. You, you have to use your state power to uh, essentially neuter the political power of the cities. And we're, 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 we can't have the state dictating to the uh, people of the cities what they're going to do. Yeah, yeah, we can. No, no, no. Yes, yes, we can. Because it's to our advantage and that's what we should do. Using yeah. their power and we're not going to let them spread their political pathologies to the rest of the state. So we're going to set it up so we can fire your DAs. We're going to set it up so we can pardon people that you uh, uh, charge with defending themselves. We're, we're, we're going to do a bunch of other things that's going to rein in your power because you've shown you don't deserve unrestrained power because you're going to use it to screw me. And that doesn't ever get to happen. I was going to say, look what Kathy Hochul is doing to the rest of, of New York State. I yeah. mean, she's demanding that they take illegal aliens, that uh, you're not going to have gas stoves, you're not going to do. And it's like we should be t- telling this woman, you know, F you. I mean, well, look, look, I mean, you know, once we get, look, I mean, that's a, that's a blue state screwing with red rural areas. Yeah. I, 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 I guess you're screwed until we have, you know, federal power. And now we go, well, federalism, I don't care about the label you put on the political ideology. I care about not being oppressed. I'm beyond free enterprise, capitalism, socialism. I don't, don't tell me about that. This is about me not living like a serf. There I, is think, uh, yeah, I think we're not sort of getting into areas of, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. I guess for lack of a better expression, passive resistance or semi-passive resistance. Oh, at oh, least- oh, I don't think we need to be passive. I think we just need to use our political power. Oh, yeah. Because I think power people are going to go our way. Look, normal people, including a lot of Democrats, don't particularly want some dude in a cocktail dress twerking his bethonged taint in front of their fourth grader. Okay, nobody wants that except these freaking Munchausen borderline personality mommies who go down to Trader Joe's and swill the Chardonnay and drive the Priuses and stick those signs in their front yard. They want it because that fulfills some need in them. It makes their life interesting that young, uh, you know, young Jimmy is now uh, uh, Julie. And he, my, my, beautiful, my beautiful daughter is in transition. Okay, you're still not interesting, and your husband is still not going to be able to sexually satisfy you. Yes, I get it. But you're not going to spread your personal psychodramas in the rest of my country. And, I, and here's the other thing I love. Why do you care so much about uh, people who are trans? Well, I, I care because I get a vote on how our society goes. And I don't want a society, I don't want to live in a society that normalizes the mutilation of children to satisfy the psychological problems uh, of the children or their moms. And, it, and believe me, it's all the moms. And I blame the whole trans thing on women. Uh, because guys are like, Urgh. Uh, if women would stop putting up with it, it would end tomorrow. It happens when, when their daughters go into the bathroom and, and are accosted by six-foot-four-inch, 230-pound women. That works for normal people. Uh, it will never work for the leftists because they consider that a personal sacrifice. That's a sacrifice to Moloch. Yes, my, my daughter was raped by a, uh, a freaking boy dressed as a girl. Look what I've given you in, in, in service of this cult. No, no, the Carthaginians burn their kids alive. This is there is an element of human nature that you know that there is always this group of people who's willing to do these insane things. I mean, my God, imagine if somebody said, "Yeah, I'm going to cut your child's breasts off so she can pretend she's a boy." Normal people are like, "That's not going to happen." And of course, that's why they attempt to use political power in these uh, government power in these states to force this shit to happen. You know, and, and when the parents are fighting about it, it's always the uh, divorced mom is driving it. It's never the husband. And again, no, I keep coming back to the women, not because women are bad, but because women control so much of the social aspects of our society, social aspects of our society. But you get what I'm saying. This is this was invented by 
uh, women who watch Oprah. I was going to say, I think they're, right. I, they, sac- they sacrificed their children to Moloch because of yeah. an overriding guilt that they didn't abort them in the first place. <laughs> that, that may be it, too. Um, but maybe, remember, at the, at the bottom of this, it's narcissism. Look yeah. at me. I, I, I believe so hard. I let my kid get her breast sawed off. It's always about look at me. And, I, you know, I saw a statistic the other day, like 47 percent of these mommies have borderline personality disorder. And I'm thinking it's got to be more. You know what the rate is in normal people? It's about 2 percent. This, this also speaks to, to what Kurt mentioned earlier about the use of political power. There is significant pushback in a majority of the states against yes. this, this trans insanity. Yes. And it's working. Isn't that great? It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, state after state after state seems to be saying enough is enough. And yes. You know, we have a supermajority in our legislature, so we can go tell the Swiss yes. Republican governor to pound sand. Yes, we have to normalize fighting back. And remember, a lot of this what, and you'll still hear conservatives say, it, "I don't care what you know, I don't care what adults do, but we have, you know, we, we we should provide protection to the children." Stop it, okay? Stop the tolerance crap. I tried tolerance. And they try to have sex with my kids. Okay, there's no live and let live. It's all Paul McCartney, live and let die, with us doing the dying. This old model of, you know, we're, we're going to tolerate all this frickin' social pathology shit. That's got to end. Remember, I am absolutely uh, in favor of criminalizing, you know, gender care for adults as well as children. I would throw, I, I would throw anybody who does it in jail for life. Again, adults too. No, no. You don't get to choose to saw your body up to conform to some freaking delusion ever. And there are a lot of conservatives who, you know, remember this, a lot of this comes out of the 70s. You know, remember, we're very live and let live time. I don't care what you do, man. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. Well, we tried that and there, and we thought there was a deal where we could do our thing. But, you know, what, what if your thing is just kind of going to church? Oh, wait, here are a bunch of cops to stop you because there's a cold going around. Yeah, okay. so, so I'll do my thing and you do my thing. Yeah, there's always this idea that we have like these rules that if I do this, I'll get this protection. The, the, the magic of leftism is they do whatever they want and you get no appeal to any kind of institution, rule, norm, whatever. You just don't. So the only way you're going to get what you want is by the use of power. You can't just be passive. You have to aggressively go and do it. And again, not the way I would prefer it. I prefer option one. Remember option one? Everybody's free to do what they want. But if you've got to have a, you know, a strong man in charge, well, I prefer it be mine. You know, I've been, st- I've been reading a lot about the Spanish Civil War. And you got Franco on one side. And he had this conglomerate of everything from loyalists to Catholic traditionalists to active, you know, Nazis, essentially. He's a bad guy. He's not a good guy. On the other hand, you had the the Republicans, who were communists, anarchists, all flavors of Trotskyites, and they were murdering everybody left and right. Okay, now you got a choice, right? You don't have a third choice. There's no weaseling out to go, well, I'd like option one. You got option two or option three. The rightist authoritarian or leftist authoritarian? Well, guys, I'm a rightist, and the rightists aren't going to murder me. The leftists are. So what's my choice? If you stick a gun to my head, literally, and make me make one. And history is a happy choice. I don't like it. Again, I want option one. I enjoy the 80s and 90s and 70s when option one was in full effect. What, but what guys, I say is that history choice, has absolutely worn you out. And that is that, uh, that Franco, for all of his, his supposed evil, dragged Spain into the 20th well, century. Uh, let's not sugarcoat Franco. No, 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 he's no. He's not he's, a good cat. No, he's not a good guy, but... No, and he murdered a lot of dudes. Yeah. But, you know, he wasn't going to murder me. I, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, if you're if, if you're going to say, you get this bunch of assholes who's not going to kill you, or that bunch of assholes who is, well, who are you going to side with? I propose to be the assholes who aren't going to murder me. Because goddamn communists are. You think they were going to go, okay... All right, everybody's now a poet. Just sit home. I love, I love how, I love how the communists are always sure they're going to be the guy who gets to be the poet, and not the guy who gets to pick up the trash. That's- exactly. Yeah. The, the ironic thing is, once the communists come into power, the first people that they eliminate are the most ardent supporters and the most ardent Bolsheviks. 
And if only Comrade Stalin knew that they're the no, ones no, no. that. They, 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 again, it's about power. If it wasn't about power, they would, you know, you wouldn't have the anarchists, uh, you know, fighting pitched battles on the streets of Barcelona with the communists. They'd all be out fighting the Franco guys. But I know how it went down because they fought the guy who's more dangerous close in. So I, I know somebody's going to watch this and go, Kurt loves Franco, you dumb fucks. <laughs> I'm so, God, I'm so tired. See, again, when I talk about how there's no such thing as argument, if you if you looked at this, if you're media matters and you looked at this, we all know the headline would be Kirchlicker comes out in favor of Franco, right? That would totally be the thing. But that's oh, absolutely. absolutely not what I said. But there'd be no grappling with the idea and weighing in going, well, you know, Kurt's right here because he makes it, but he's wrong here because these facts and evidence. So that would be an argument. And then you'd have a nuanced thing where, you know, Kurt says, well, in a situation where it was rightist, uh, you know, killers and leftist killers, he'd have to side with the rightist killers because they wouldn't kill him. Okay. You'll never get that and say, Kurt loves Franco. That's what you'll get. There's no argument. And that makes it really hard to have a liberal democracy because liberal democracy is based on the idea of argument. That people can change their minds, that they can look at facts and evidence and come to a conclusion and, uh, you know, find or divine a correct or acceptable policy. Well, if you take that off the table, if you take convincing people off the table, what do you have left? You have a freaking dude with a bayonet. And I don't like that. I think we had it much better. I think we should go back to it. But it's not going to go back to it unless the people, unless bad people stop getting the benefit from stepping outside that paradigm. Because they have. That's a, the left has won because it stepped out of the paradigm and ignored the limits. That's well, they how it won. Yeah. And they couldn't really. So gotta make it so they lose by doing that. So the next guy goes, I better not step out of the paradigm or I'm going to be essentially shunned and out of power completely. The, the problem is the longer we wait to do these things, the more that they set up the institutions or corrupt. But we're not waiting. We are fighting back. And we're talking about so. No, we, have, we are fighting back. Not as yeah, fast yeah. as we'd like it. I mean, I, you know, I'm an infantry guy. I want to move fast and crush the enemy. But uh, we are fighting back. And slowly but surely, people are getting more woke. Twelve years ago, were the Republicans anywhere near as based as they are now? No. No, we are nominating Romney. We just nominated McCain and then a Bush. None of those guys is ever going to get out. You know, freaking Mike Pence is going to run. Mike Pence, the cutting edge of 2005. By the way, Chris, 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 Chris Christie is Chris the cutting Christie. edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at least Chris Christie's aggressive. aggressive. I mean, he looks at, he, you know, he, he attacks an enemy like he attacks a crawler. Um, <laughs> you know, exactly. a, a guy like Mike Pence, you know, we've got to not fight the culture war and get back to supporting a giant military industrial complex and endless badly fought wars, plus tax cuts for corporations that hate us because they've adopted the politics of the CEO's 30 year old second wife. Um, there's no <laughs> there's no constituency for that. Yeah. Mike Pence is his campaign is a festival of onanism with less dignity. <laughs> so I, I know that we're running a, a little bit short on time, but I want to okay. uh, ask a couple more minutes. That's great. But I want to ask you a question. I'm going to uh, move to a, a slightly different topic, and that is our uh, growing adventure in Eastern Europe. What do you think about what is going on in Ukraine and whether it's it is anything close to a geopolitical imperative that we get involved or is it simply more po power politics in Washington? Well, let me, let, let me give you a little background so you know where I'm coming from. I am a Cold Warrior. I was literally in Germany with the army when the Cold War, when the wall fell. Uh, I was one of the guys who was you know, trained to destroy Russian formations. I know how to fight a, a, a motor rifle regiment in the attack. I trained Ukrainian soldiers in Ukraine four times. There was a Ukrainian-Polish battalion with us in Kosovo. I like the Ukrainians. They're very tough people. They're always drunk. Uh, I am not surprised they fought as hard as they have. I'm surprised they fought as well. I frankly thought the Russians were going to take them out, but the Russians, as always, were terrible at the beginning of a war. Just totally inept, logistically. They just did a terrible job. The Russians will come back. They always come back. We've destroyed a bunch of uh, or the Ukraine. We, that's, uh, yeah. yeah, there's a Freudian slip. Uh, destroyed a bunch of the old crappy Russian equipment. They're going to rebuild it. They're going to have good equipment. The bad generals are all dead or fired. They're going to come back tougher than ever. Just ask Napoleon, ask Hitler. That's what happens. Russians lose, then they come back, and then they win. Ukrainians are running out of Ukrainians. We're sending, and, and, and there's three ways you can go. 
You can go option one for Ukraine, starve them and say, no, you're going to settle this. You're going to give up some territory and then you're going to have a peace treaty. Option uh, two, here's everything you possibly need. You're going to drive them out, assuming you can build up the combat power by finding enough people. And, you know, the, the Ukrainian, the military age male of Ukraine uh, population is uh, remarkably large outside of Ukraine right now. Option three is we're going to give you enough to just kind of drag this out and risk the Russians building up their combat power and crushing. I keep hearing how there's going to be a Ukrainian offensive coming up. Uh, it was supposed to be in the spring. Now it's set for the summer. Call me unconvinced. I, I, I've looked at the Ukrainian battle plan. It looks to me like it was written at Patch Barracks in at UCOM headquarters in Germany. I mean, we're obviously there helping them out, but we've apparently chosen option three, which is endless stalemate. Uh, arguably the worst one. My metric is what's best for the United States. Again, I like the Ukrainians. I would like the Ukrainians to win. They are indisputably in the right here. I don't buy this stuff about, well, you know, the Russians have a bunch of good... There's no good point that gives you sending 200,000 armored troops in to conquer your neighbor because you're upset about some stuff. No, I'm on the, I, 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 I think the Ukrainians are morally right here. And I know it's the most corrupt country on earth. I know that. Uh, flying out of there, we had to have a State Department guy hand over a briefcase of cash to get our airplane off the ground. Once. Okay, <laughs> I know how corrupt the freaking Ukrainians are. Right? I think he was State Department. State Department guy. You know, I, 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 I like the Ukrainian people. Tough, drunk, uh, but, you know, very patriotic. The ones who haven't, like, gone to Ireland. Um, <laughs> so we, I, I think we've definitely taken the worst of all possible worlds. Uh, again, I, I'm an American. I, I care about what's good for America. Frankly, I think what's good for America right now is to force a peace treaty, which would mean the Ukrainians lose territory, which would mean to some extent Putin gets rewarded for doing what he's done. Why would I? Why do I think that's important? A, because it's burning our ammo stocks out, and we're too incompetent to rebuild them, and we might need them. B, this is driving Russia into China's arms, and uh, in a tripolar world, when you have two of the three poles uh, on one side, the other guy's kind of left out, and that's bad. If you're that guy who's left out, the worst policy, foreign policy disaster in the last 30 years was not Iraq. It was uh, the failure to ensure and Russia was tied to the West after the fall of, of the Soviet Union because it provides a huge counterbalance to China. They'll never be a friend in the sense that, you know, England is. They'll never be an ally in the sense that even, you know, France or Germany is. But it could have been not an enemy. And for uh, largely domestic, largely because of habit, People who hated Russians because they were, you know, grew up in the Cold War, like me, and people who found domestic advantage to it, like Hillary Clinton and her friends. Russia is now an enemy. So great, we now have China and Russia as an enemy. That's bad. That's super bad. And I think that our strategy over the long term should be to create a, a network of nations, including Russia, to counterbalance China and force China to behave. But what do I know about strategy? I'm not one of the foreign policy geniuses who's literally dicked up everything that they've touched over the last three decades. You're also not on the board of a uh, of a Ukrainian gas company, so that there you go. <laughs> so you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, the um, you know foreigners buying the superpowers elite is not new. I mean, they they used to do that in Rome. I remember Jugurtha, who was a Numidian prince. And he's, you know, fighting with another Numidian prince for Numidia. And he, he goes to Rome, right, to appeal to the Senate to solve this problem in his favor. He goes to Rome. He leaves North Africa, goes to Rome. And he looks around and he's like, this city is just completely for sale. OK, just like Washington, D.C. And you had a bunch of Romans who were like, eh, you know, strategy is nice, but I could use another piazza out by Vesuvius. You know, so this I mean, again, we're look, so much of what we're doing is you know, foretold by history because it's just basic human nature 101. None of this stuff should be a surprise, but it is to our garbage ruling elite. Remember, we are ruled by cultural trust fund babies. These guys didn't build this country. They didn't create it. They're like third generation Kennedys. Speaking of which. <laughs> that, that, those are the guys. We got the third ge third generation Fords, the, uh, the the third generation of the kids who created, uh, the guy who created Chick-fil-A. 
Do you know any of them? Would you be surprised if you found them in a Buick outside a crack house shooting up? No. It, 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 they're culture, we, we're run by cultural trust fund babies who are squandering their inheritance because they're incompetent. They're so isolated, for, as you just said, that they're so isolated from what yeah. is really America. It's unbelievable to me. And I see that. I mean, unfortunately, I see that in my own family. I see people who have who've never crossed the Hudson. And, oh, yeah. and, and they're shocked. They're shocked that religious people in America love Israel. Well, how can you love Israel? That's, you know, it's 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 some subterfuge. They, 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 they have no interest in their own country. Yeah. They have no interest in their own people. They don't know them. And, and to the extent they do, they don't like them. You know, it's always you know, America is a white supremacist nation, except there's an asterisk. And the asterisk goes down. You look below it. It reads, not me, though. <laughs> always. Yeah, I've, I've said this a hundred times on this podcast and, and on Ace of Spades and wherever else we, we I write, and that is that the, the most significant racism I have ever seen in the United States uh, was in Berkeley and San Francisco oh, yeah. and New York and Boston. Oh, absolutely. It was no, I, I, I came back from the Gulf War and went to law school in Los Angeles. So I was like the army guy, right? I think I have 400 people that are four people who'd ever served in the military. Two of us had been in wars. And everyone was a little afraid of me, which is fine with me. <laughs> but I would get these very liberal West Siders coming up and going, you know, how about those Mexicans, right? Right? And I'm like, you know, look, I'm not Mr. Goody Goody guy, but my platoon had plenty of guys with Mexican names, Spanish names. And I'm like, I don't hate these guys. These guys, I was working with them. I don't understand. Why, why do you think you could share this with me? You know, it was, very, it was kind of insulting. You know, I mean, they, they, they couldn't share their little hatred with their friends. So they decided they would, like, well, Kurt's got to because he was in the Army. He's got to be a giant racist. It, it's, it's, it, it was really obnoxious. But, again, I'm, I'm past the, you know, current liberals are the real racists. I don't care what they are as long as they're defeated. I don't need to morally prove my moral supremacy to them because... I don't care about my moral supremacy. I, you know, I will, I will, me and God will handle our relationship ourselves and I don't need their input. Yeah. I want to see them defeated too, but you know, I want to destroy the constitution to preserve it by outlawing every single leftist in the democratic party forever. Boy, <laughs> and then we... Look, I mean, what are the rules guys? Cause uh, there was just a decision that came down that and I think seventh circuit, I'm not sure which one. It basically, uh, said by no, these bias response teams at this government college, that, those are perfectly consistent with the First Amendment. <laughs> Guys, exactly. here's the thing. The rules, like all those rules, at the end of the day, they're there to protect the guys without the guns. Do you really want to change it to rule of power? Because eventually people discover their own power, and it doesn't work out well. Now, I don't remember. Now, I used to know Spanish. and I should, could, should say it in Spanish with like a, uh, a Castilian accent uh, <laughs> just to emphasize, bring us back to, you know, do a call back to the whole Spanish Civil War thing. But, you know, a little too on the nose. I'm all for option one. Don't encourage option two. And in, in, in many ways, it's short sighted. Remember, we have to volunteer ourselves for servitude. They can't force us to do anything. This is true. I see. I, I flash on the scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with uh, Harvey Logan. Rules and a knife fight? No, no rules. Somebody count one, two, three, go, and we're uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're getting to that point. But unreal. Any any other parting thoughts, uh, CBD and Kurt? Or I think we no. I'm I'm fascinated by uh, by Kurt's real politic. It's it's refreshing. You know, Kurt. Uh, a couple of months ago, we were talking about George Santos. The, that My hero, Santos 24. Yeah, the, the knucklehead who lied about everything. And, and, and Sefton and I were actually in agreement. And that is that we don't really care that he was lying. No, I, I, I don't I care. care. As no, long as I, I, right. I don't care. I don't. Yeah, it's fine with me. I, I don't care it, because, again, one set of rules. I don't care. Yeah. And they're like, well, you've got to, you've got to repudiate him. No, now we need his vote and we're going to use it. You know, when you, you know, elect a brain-damaged ogre as uh, a senator from Pennsylvania, I don't need lectures about the uh, quality of our, uh, uh, our, our, our legislators. They are functions. They are tools. 
and he is a hammer. And the fact that he exists annoys them, which gives us joy and builds our morale. Now, standing up for George Santos was actually a big deal because it showed a seriousness of purpose. It showed that we are, we're not going to allow you know, the default institutionalism to give them a win when they don't deserve one. Yeah, I don't. I, again, my my feeling with Santos was that I don't care what he does, as long as he votes no on every single Democrat yeah. and Rhino bill down the pike. Uh, exactly, yeah. I'll, I'll boost it all the way. Whether he voted for this cockamamie, uh, ridiculous, uh, the, the the Orwellian, what is it, the Inflate Reduction Deficit Reduction Act, or whatever it is. No deficit reduction, but it was a hell of an act. Whatever, I think he may have had to vote for that. Otherwise, they really would have gotten rid of him. But again, we this is it's a war. We're in a war. Uh, it's not mercifully at this point not hot hot, but I mean, I it's, and uh, I don't think it's going. I mean, look, I think there's going to be more violence as the left loses, and I think that gets suppressed. But we've just got to understand that you know the institutions have been taken over, and we've got to stop deferring to them. You know, I thought you loved I thought you didn't want to defund the police. You want to dismantle the FBI? Yes. <laughs> Nuke it. <laughs> I I I like your view. And I'm I'm actually quite quite surprised that you're a DeSantis supporter over Trump. I expected uh Oh well let me, Bombast uh, to uh No, Bombast is a tool, it's a weapon system. Mm. It's not a strategy. Uh I am completely indifferent to the politicians. They are fungible. It's my favorite law school word. In contract fungible. law, yep, a product is fungible, like an orange. If you have this set of orange, it's fungible because it, it's the same as that set of orange. It doesn't matter which set of oranges you get. Uh, politicians are fungible. They are, and I have no loyalty to any of them. I don't, I don't hate Trump. I, I like Trump. But I don't think Trump gets it done. Yeah. And he did a lot of great things in face of a lot. Uh, no one's been persecuted more and more unjustly. And the persecution of him were also persecution of us because they deprived yep. us of a president we had a right to have. That being said, I don't care about anything. All I care about is winning and exercising power effectively. And I think DeSantis is more likely to do that. So until he stops being that, I support him. And when he stops being that, I stop supporting him. And when, uh, you know, whoever wins the uh, nomination, I support. I'm completely indifferent to politicians. I owe them no loyalty. They owe me loyalty. And that's that's an attitude that's very difficult for many many conservatives to have. It is. Um, we become we become emotionally attached. There, there, there are a lot of people for whom uh, Donald Trump he brought them into politics and they have an emotional investment. I know I've got very good friends who feel that yeah. way. And there's a good argument for Trump. You can make one. Uh, we we still listen to arguments, but I'm unconvinced by it. I think today DeSantis is more likely to win the nomination, more likely to win the general, and he's got my support. I don't think it's going to change, but you know, tomorrow, if it does, I'm not here to uh, uh, get revenge for Donald Trump, and I'm not here to fulfill uh, uh, Ron DeSantis's ambitions. I'm here to save my country and myself. Kurt Schlichter, CBD, JJ Sefton. Uh, Kurt, it has been an absolute honor. And the one parting thought is I wish we had candidates with one tenth of the erudition and the just the, the chutzpah and the whatever to tell them to go take flying leaps and to tell it like it is, because that message. If what you said during the entire course of this podcast about the about the issues and about not giving a damn and so on and so forth, if they to one even infinitesimal degree even took that attitude, we'd be on a, in a very good space. Of course, the uh, the election rigging not mis, notwithstanding. But Kurt Schlichter, CPD, it's JJ Sefton for the Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks podcast. It's been a pleasure, and I hope to uh, have you back on again real soon. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. Folks, the great Kurt Schlichter. Thank you very much for joining us. We will see you again on the next one.